0: Welcome to Closing the Loop, a podcast hosted by Lakeside Process Controls. We're connecting you with experts, end users, and suppliers in industrial automation industry. My name is Justin Kozak, business unit lead for measurement solutions and host of today's show. Each episode will feature guests from Lakeside. Emerson Automation Solutions, or end users, and we hope that these conversations, we can close the loop on your current knowledge and the latest and greatest information in industry. We want to help educate you, provide you with ideas for improving efficiency and safety throughout your facility. And with that, I'd like to introduce you to today's guest, none other than Severio Allo. Severio, welcome to the show. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for having me. This is, this is great. Very exciting. And it's Allo? Yeah, sure. Allo? For the most part. For yeah. the most part? Yes. Well, that's fantastic. So, Vario, S- this is not your first podcast, as I understand.
1: That's right. It's my second. I did one about a year ago. That was a virtual vo- podcast with uh, one of our counterparts, Ari Mason, in the U.S., yes.
0: And, uh, yeah, you were not six inches apart. No, you No,
1: were... no, it was like 3,000 miles apart. A little bit further yeah, apart.
0: yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully this one will live up to your expectations. So why don't you introduce yourself uh, to the audience today? Kind of who are you? What's a little bit of your background?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I, um, I'm born and raised in, in Montreal. Um, went to school there. Went to uh, McGill, Studied engineering like, uh, like a lot of us. Um, so, yeah, I grew up, uh, you know, loving hockey and good food being Italian and, and so forth. but
0: uh, So wait, so wait, are you a Habs fan?
1: Oh, I'm a big-time Habs fan. Uh, not only am I a Habs fan, I made sure my kids all are also Habs fans. They're and indoctrinated? So uh, they're totally indoctrinated. And they're living
0: in Toronto now.
1: Uh, living in Guelph, yes, but they're totally, totally fine with that. I, I did become a Blue Jays fan, I'll uh, oh, I'll huh. admit that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Habs is in my blood for sure. So. Well, I
0: think with that, we probably <laughs> lost but Habs audience <laughs> members there. Maybe we'll edit that part out. Okay,
1: That's why I said I'm a still Blue, I'm a Blue Jays fan. <laughs> Try to keep those... Uh, okay, fair uh, enough. In yep. there, right? So, uh, but yeah, and um, basically been in this industry since since day one. Uh, out of out of school, my first job was in a was in a small valve company, um, and then a, a larger valve company in Montreal called Valan. And, and I was a, I was an Emerson customer, <clears throat> excuse me, pretty much from the beginning, and then migrated over to Emerson for uh, for 15 years in, in the actuation space and um, and lakeside was was a customer and account for me for for many many years until um, less than a year ago um, you know decided to take an opportunity here at lakeside controls and uh, join this this great team so yeah I've been a I've been a valve and actuator guy pretty much all my life I'm
0: not sure if that's a good thing, but uh, <laughs>
1: sometimes it's exciting. Sometimes well, you're the right not. person
0: to talk to about that. <laughs> See, I know very little about valves yes. and both actuators, yeah. so I think it's going to be good. I'm going to learn a lot. Good. Hopefully uh, the yeah. audience learns a lot. Um, so you've been at Lakeside less than a year. Wow, yeah. time flies. I feel like you've been here forever. I,
1: I, I feel I've only been here a couple of months, but yeah, it does uh, it does fly definitely.
0: But now, uh, I do recall you did some training. Maybe it was a few years back. I feel like that's probably when I first met you. And and people keep talking about the Bettis bus riding the Bettis bus. Yes. What is this? Before we get into mm. what valves are, and, and, <laughs> but what's this Bettis bus? Because I hear about that a lot. I see videos of people riding the Bettis bus.
1: Um, I, I guess it's just um. Kind of the cultural thing is, you mm. know, you're you're a Fisher person or you're a Rosemount person, and if you're into actuators, you're you're a Bettis person. You know, the 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 color is iconic. The brand it's probably the best known brand in the industry, right? So I think uh, and it's orange or white. It's orange. It's, orange. It's, yeah, it's orange. It's a specific tint of orange. I think it's changed over the years, but uh, but yeah, if if you see something in the field and it's colored orange, it's most likely a, a Bettis actuator. And-
0: they're sometimes massive, as yes. I understand. So that's also, I guess, you can literally ride them. You can literally sit on them if they're a- that big.
1: Absolutely. They're, they can be the size of a small school bus, which is, oh. uh, is you know, close to that color. So I think that's that's part of the, uh, that the whole sense. bus. Uh, yeah. Thank okay.
0: You. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Now you know. <laughs> okay, so let's actually, I think it, start, it makes sense to start with isolation valves, because sure. that's obviously tied into actuation. Um First of all, what is an isolation mm-hmm. valve? What are they used for? How does it differ from a control valve? Yeah. Um, you know, pretend I know nothing.
1: Yeah, well, uh, f- pretend you know nothing. Uh, an isolation valve is uh, is a component that stops or isolates flow of anything. You, can, you use them in your sink in your house. Uh, you use them to stop flow for water coming into your house or steam or gas. And um, yeah, in, in a facility that makes or processes anything, there could be hundreds or literally thousands of valves. So it is, it does control in the stems in, in the in the sense that it stops mm. and starts flow. Um, but yeah, from tiny half inch size to hundred inch size gotcha. uh, for water control, um, you know. Automated, manual, so many different types of valves that that, that serve different purposes. But I mean, it's it's um, it's such a a common and, and necessary engineered component yeah. that's been around since the Roman times. Um, that you know people don't think about it, but it it, it impacts our life uh, every day. It's 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 a necessity of of life, of process control. and Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, and I'm thinking of the different yeah.
0: examples. You're right, just at home that you probably have. Sure. But you would, as I understand, typically only in an on or mm-hmm. an off state, right? You wouldn't necessarily kind of turn it halfway?
1: Well, typically, but not necessarily. So it, okay. it, it is used as a crude... Control valve, yeah. just like at, at home, it's sometimes you you turn the water on a little bit, mm. so that's a partially open valve. So it does it does control. Same thing in the process side, mm. uh, an, an an isolation or on off valve, if you will, is sometimes used to control flow. It's not it won't be a precise pressure control device like what we call a control valve. Yeah, um, but often it's it's used for for both. Mm. Um, if you know, depending on the application or.
0: Actually, that makes sense. We have we have a, a micro motion flow demo loop, and I have a little ball valve on there, and I, I get it you hmm. know about halfway, three quarter way. and it's like the perfect sure. flow. So I yeah. guess that's what I'm doing. Yeah, it's not very accurate because I know yes. I crank it a little bit further, and pfft, everything goes off yeah. and stops working. That's right. Trailer. Okay, that that makes sense then. So, but there are different types of isolation valves, yeah. right? So what what would be you know the ways to classify them?
1: Yeah. So so I guess one thing uh, to keep in mind when you're talking about Say applications people are inside sales. For the most part, they don't have to decide on what type of valve. Um, That's usually decided by a customer or Mm -hmm. an an engineer at the front. Same thing. I know we'll talk about actuators, why electric, why pneumatic, and talk about that. But usually, that's determined beforehand, and then you just got to decide. No, what's what's the best design or version of it? But it it really varies on the application. Um, Some valves. Are good to do some control. Some are not. Um, one thing people don't realize is valves are um, allowed to leak. Most valves can leak. Mm. They're not necessarily. Once they designed to leak, but they there's do. a lot of leakage. So if you want a valve that does not leak, that could be the difference between um, you know a cheap valve and a costly valve. So gotcha. like everything else, it's it's based on cost. You you pick a valve that does the job for the least amount of cost. So uh, you know, for example, butterfly valves and gate valves are low cost um, devices. You know, to serve a purpose, if you can get away with that. You know, a ball valve might be ten times the price of a butterfly valve, mm. but butterfly valve is limited pressure, temperature. It can't handle slurries or dirty service. Uh, it's got a biggest obstruction in the middle, so it it doesn't have a high CV or would have a high pressure drop, right? So once you start adding these requirements, you start getting into, um, you know, higher tier valves. Um, a triple offset is really a butterfly valve, but it's, uh, it's a zero leakage valve. It's, mm. it's almost like a cross between a gate and a ball valve. And then I think, you know, I know, I know you like the knife gate valves. Yeah, I'd be yeah. fan of those. <laughs> yep. Those are pretty specialized, even though they, they allow for process to come out of them or discharge, which is kind of odd but they can handle basically rocks and and what have you flowing through them and still be able to shut off, right? Um, and then, you know, like you said, do they have to control? Um, do they have to move fast? If they have to move fast, you usually want what's called a quarter turn valve, like a ball or plug mm. or, um, or butterfly, which means it only turns a quarter of an operation, so you can do that pretty fast. Mm. Uh, a gate or a globe or a knife gate, that takes many turns of the stem. Just like at home, if you're turning... Your, uh, your water hose, you notice mm. you got to turn it 10, 12 times. Um, so that takes longer to operate. So you're not going to uh. use a gate valve to turn in a quarter of a second or a second, right? That makes um, sense. And then it depends if you want to automate it or not. Some lend themselves more to automating. Quarter turn, for example, as you can imagine, if you've got to turn something a quarter of the way, uh, it's easier to automate. If you got to turn something 100 times, uh, then that might be a little more, a little more complex. So, uh, it's you know, it's a combination of, of uh, specs, requirements, performance, size, and then cost. You know, at yeah. the end of the day, which the the engineer or the EPC will decide what what type of valve can do this job for the least amount of cost, taking into account automation requirements, right? Yeah, and uh, uh, you yeah. know,
0: so all of these will isolate. Yeah, okay. all of them. one way or <laughs> yeah. another. One way or all another, all
1: will isolate flow um some will leak some yes. more than others but uh if they're selected properly they should they should uh, they should isolate the flow
0: gotcha yeah yeah so you did hit on a, a fun one i seem to really like the knife <laughs> gate valves i don't know why there's just something about them it just seems very simple it's just a giant knife yeah cuts off the flow yeah. um something that you, know, you mentioned that I, I learned was this concept of discharging knife gate valves versus yeah. non-discharging um, maybe you could talk a little bit about that because, I mean, I'm, I'm maybe because of my experience of mining, you know, you walk through some of these processing plants, and they're really dirty. Yes. And I thought miners were just dirty, mm-hmm. but it turns out it actually might be because of your knife your, your <laughs> gate valve. Is that correct?
1: I think it's a combination of things. Oh, but, okay. Uh, again, it's it's like everything. It's pros and cons, right? So you're, you're flowing with a slurry. A slurry is, is, is usually water, liquid combined with solids, mm-hmm. so if you can imagine – uh, you know, ore or, or rocks and, and, and uh, giant particles, how do, you, how do you cut the flow off of that, right? Yeah. So basically you need a mechanism, like a, like you said, a big gate that's sharp, um, but it can't trap anything in, in, in the valve seat, right? Because if you try and do that, it'll, it'll just build up and, uh, you know, sit there. So basically it, it pushes some particles or slurry right outside the valve and onto the ground mm-hmm. or into a bucket um you know it's not a chemical service in the sense that it's uh um it's 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 dangerous it's not ideal but it's one of those pros Mm. and cons and so you need somebody every once in a while to clean that up
0: it almost reminds me of like a a french guillotine right like that's, that's for those of you who don't know what this looks like just picture a guillotine but it's now a valve
1: well so in 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 french a uh A a gate valve or a knife gate is called a guillotine valve. Oh. So there you go. There
0: you go. Oh, so, okay, so when you say gate valve, it's the same thing as knife gate valve. It is. uh, Usually a
1: gate valve just uses a a larger closing, uh, you know, mechanism or or, or gate, whereas a a knife gate is basically a guillotine. It's thin, wide, sharp. Okay. Um, Okay. So So
0: you can have different styles depending on if it's a slurry or maybe just a water line. Water or steam. You okay. can have
1: knife gates on thousand degree, two thousand psi steam oh, wow. service in a power plant. Um, right? They're they're very good for that. Uh, for that for that type of service. Generally. Yeah, I imagine because yeah. it's just
0: yeah. cuts yeah. it right off. So then, how does a non-discharging mm. knife gate valve work? Like, where does the the particulate go then? If, if how does that work?
1: It it stays in in the seat, or oh. in the body. Right. So that that's why gate valve A traditional gate valve. You asked about which one to pick is not very good for, mm. for a slurry. So, you know, you would use it for power applications, for, for water, for steam, even for oil mm. and refining. But if you have, if you don't want to discharge and you have a dirty or slurry service, you might use a, a ball valve, for example. Gotcha. Uh, you know, or a different uh, different solution for that. So n- knife gate valves are very specific. You know, yeah. mining and pulp and paper, outside of that, uh, you, don't, you don't see them
0: too often. Gotcha. Okay, so in a slurry, you probably wouldn't be able to get away with a non-discharging knife gate.
1: Not if it's a high slurry, right? Yeah. So usually we classified based on particle size and percentage. Okay. Right, a conventional versus a discharge. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about 70% slurry, yeah. very large particles, there's really only a couple of valves that can do that. And if you don't have a discharge valve, it'll probably... Clog up or, gotcha. or seize. Or uh, leak, leak through even yeah. or not fully shut. Okay, yeah, it won't shut, so it, you
0: it. It's interesting you, you classify a high slurry percent around hmm. 70, because that's good. Our definitions are similar. <laughs> when I'm thinking a mag meter, okay. I'm thinking high concentrations yeah. of solids. I'm thinking above 50%, 50, yeah. 60, 70. It's typically a different mag meter solution when yeah. you get to those levels. It's good, though, because uh, depending on who you talk to, they have different definitions of high percent, especially like food and beverage, right? Totally different percentages than pulp and paper or mining.
1: Yeah, everybody has their own, I guess, rule of thumb. And and that's something, you know, I I mentioned, you know, a customer may not may may tell you that they want a knife gate, but they may not say what kind of design. They'll just say, I need a knife gate. Mm. Here's the pressure temperature. Here's the slurry. Often we got to go back and say, well, what's what's the percentage like? Because if you don't need a discharge valve, we'll probably just, you know, go with a conventional, which doesn't discharge and it's also less expensive by design. right? So, so you know, you always try and pick, again, yeah. the best solution for the most reasonable cost, right? So, okay. so many.
0: So if I'm, I'm you know, I know I need to isolate my process. Uh, when mm-hmm. I reach out to Lakeside or I reach out to you, what sort of information are you going to need in order to pick? Like, let's say I don't have an isolation valve and you get to pick from all these different ones. What mm-hmm. do you need to know?
1: Um, you know, we'll use a typical instrument type data sheets mm. so something that will tell us the the process conditions definitely you know um, do, do they need a full full flow capability is one question Interesting, right um, because uh, you know a gate valve or a ball valve will do that a butterfly valve may not or you can have a reduced bore so what, what are their expectations like a control valve you have pressure drop obviously so that's not a question um, so flow rate um, or uh, that type of sizing doesn't apply to isolation valves, but you need to know if if you need if pressure drops an issue. And then obviously pressure, temperature, uh, what's going through the valve? Uh, is it automated? Is one like I said? If it's automated, a quarter turn is a little easier to uh, and less cost to automate, right? You can automate a knife gate or or a large gate valve, of course, but you're but you're kind of limited. But uh, you know, sort of the typical yeah. process okay. conditions you would find. In almost any other instrument, is, is is the basic questions
0: we would ask. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And you can automate all of them.
1: Pretty much any any isolation valve can be automated. Oh. Some easier than others, yeah. Um, but yeah, basically any valve
0: can be automated. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Now you mentioned uh, full port um, ball valves, yeah. and that's something that kind of resonates with me because we use ball valves in instrumentation sometimes to help isolate. So, for example, um, you know, uh, um, sometimes our our DP flow meters, uh, we have a retractable assembly for an anubar, and that we need to make sure that we have a full-port ball valve because we want to be able to remove the anubar. So are there different types of, there's less than full-port, or, you know, when would you use one, or is it just maybe a cost conversation?
1: Yeah, so if you, let's say, uh, ball valves, for example, most ball valves have a full and regular port version. Okay. And the regular port is one size smaller. So if it's a six-inch uh, ball valve, the port is only four inches. So the cost is closer to a four-inch valve, uh, you know? But you're yes. not going to get the flow to that. So uh, one one typical application is is, is gas, so yeah. natural gas, gas transport. You would think that that's, gas is easy to isolate. Um, it's just gas. You can use, like, a cheaper valve, like a butterfly or a... Uh, or a gate but the reality is you want very little pressure drop right Mm. Uh, you want whatever you're pushing through that line you want it to keep going uh, and you also want it to seal very well you don't want any leaks through the seats Um, so ball valves are typically used even if you're talking a 36 inch or 42 inch and it could be you know hundred thousand dollars where another valve could be you know ten thousand dollars but that's for that application, uh, you know that, that that's the that's the only valve that really serves the purpose mm. and does everything it needs to. And the gas industry tends to have more money, so it's not always. Oh, <laughs> I know, see. That, that's that's one uh, thing we uh, deal with. If you're dealing with wa- water, wastewater, and pulp and paper, yeah. um, you know they, they don't have they don't have the cash to uh, to, to, to uh, I guess support any solution. That, that makes sense. Have, yeah.
0: Yeah. And and uh, now like, this might be a self serving question too, but um, when I ask for a full port ball valve. Does it matter the manufacturer? Is that a standard thing? It's like no different than asking for a class one fifty pound flange.
1: Yeah, thing. typically it is. It is if it's uh, uh, we follow typical standards ANSI, API, and okay. and generally, um, you know, everybody is slightly different how it's built. But when mm. you're talking about full port, reduced port, that's pretty consistent. Butterfly valve, everybody will have a slightly different. You know, the, the disc is a different size, gotcha. or, the, or the CV, or the flow rate. That's that's different. So you'll get that question. You know, if you're if you're offering a butterfly valve, but uh, a, a a ball valve should basically be like a piece of pipe. You know, if yeah. it's a full bore ball valve. Yeah. There should be no pressure drop. Gotcha. Uh, so that that's a pretty consistent spec through. Okay, that's factors. good to know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So so we talk about knife gate. That's mm-hmm. a guillotine mm-hmm. ball valve. Um, at least to me, is pretty obvious. It's it's a ball that rotates that allows you know full port mm-hmm. possibly yeah. um, or nothing. So then let's talk a little bit about butterfly and mm-hmm. triple offset because mm-hmm. I think. I want to make sure I'm visualizing that, and I understand the differences yeah. between those. Can you explain them a little bit more?
1: Yeah, so a butterfly valve is uh, really the claim to fame is it's a very inexpensive design to isolate, especially once you get into large sizes. Um, one, if you can imagine, if you think of a ball valve. You have a ball, and you have a body that has to enclose that ball valve. So, let's say a, I don't know, an eight-inch ball valve might be. 12 inches long just Mm. because it's got to hold that Uh, 12 inch butterfly valve might be two inches wide Mm. so right there you can see the cost then the material you got you got a ball versus a small disc so that's what i was saying Uh, you know a a ball valve might be 10 times the price Ah. but let's say now you're you're uh, you have water or air or steam so think like hvac um, water wastewater uh, utilities where you don't really care about pressure drop necessarily, and you're not talking high pressures or temperatures, you're going to see a lot of butterfly valves because, again, um, the cost of the valve is a fraction of another solution. It's very easy and inexpensive to automate a butterfly valve because you don't have a lot of torque, right? You need, you need force, just like you've you got to turn it by hand. Uh, trying to turn a 10-inch ball valve by hand versus a butterfly is also night and day, so if you can imagine, really? an, an actuator is going to be considerably smaller. Uh, so at the end of the day, the cost, the weight, uh, the installation cost, the maintenance uh, for, for a butterfly valve is is very low.
0: So, so before you talk about triple offset, so just so I understand, so when we have a butterfly valve, um, you have the stem basically in the center of the valve, and then you have... Um, uh, the disc that kind of rotates around that center point. Yes. So I guess, is that why it's easier? Because once you start turning it, the flow actually might try to help you open it. Um, yeah,
1: it actually, it, it does. The flow assist, you have, I guess, uh, hydrodynamic forces in effect. Uh, but at the same time, a butterfly valve could move on its own. <clears throat> if it's left in the middle, unless mm. it's locked in place, the flow can move it. Whereas that uh. can't can happen with a ball valve. A ball valve is is static unless it's somebody... Intervenes and, and opens opens it up or closes it, being manual or automatic.
0: And because as you turn the ball valve, it kind of cuts through the flow. It's almost yeah. like a sideways curvature gate valve in a way. But it's
1: also you have a lot more friction between yes. the ball and the seats. You have a lot of friction, so you, you can't over the flow cannot overcome that friction. Which is a butterfly valve okay. is a thin disc, right? You have a lot of a lot of force on that disc with flow and not a lot of contact with the seat. Um, mm. So it can it can kind of it can kind of move on on its own. Maybe. Okay, so, yeah.
0: that makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. And then and then triple offset, mm. I mm. guess, is the, the same thing, but it's offset three times.
1: It's 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 offset three times. Really, the 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 third offset is um, the seat is not round. The seat is actually oh. oval, so it's actually a wedge. If you think of um, an example like a door, yeah, uh, or airplane door, especially if you oh, think yeah. it, it it kind of at the end. It, it doesn't make any contact except right at the end, uh-huh. and that's what the triple offset. So, the reason for a triple offset, I, I mentioned you know, butterfly valves are cheap, but let's say you have a service again, uh, 800 degrees, you know, high pressure, butterfly valve is no good for that, it's just it just can't handle it. So, you need to put a large gate valve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but now if you can have a butterfly valve that's all metal inside, can handle 800, 1,000 degrees, and can uh, provide no leakage, now it's a different story because, uh, again, we're, we're at a valve that is considerably smaller, less okay. weight, and considerably easier and cheaper to automate. So the butterfly valve is one of those designs that over time has, um, has replaced other solutions. And, and a gate valve is a classic example, um, whereas in the past, the gate valve would have been used for isolation of uh, you know, steam, condensate, um, tank farms think isolating fuels and oils. Uh, the triple offset now is, is you know, it's, it's, it's taken over a lot of applications, application, especially if it's automated. Um, again, the disadvantage is like a butterfly valve. You have an obstruction in the middle. Yeah. You're not going to get that flow rate. But if you can live without that, uh, the the triple offset becomes a, a pretty interesting solution, and, and claim to fame is zero leakage. Yes, that's a big Whereas point. right? you, you can get that with a gate valve, a gate valve right off the bat is allowed to leak. Um, so, if, imagine on a tank if you're isolating fuels, yeah. that's not yeah. so good, right? No. Um, so that's yeah, that's that's the uh, the main purpose of a of a butterfly valve. But it's one of those valves that um, you know a customer might might have an application or a replacement and you would actually try and uh, potentially talk them into the solution um, because it's it's better they may not be aware Whereas gotcha. almost every other case they ask for a gate or butterfly you'll give them that just the best the best type that you can you can find
0: right okay yeah. and so so the brands as i understand Vanessa for triple offset Keystone for butterfly KTM for ball valves and Clarkson for knife gates
1: that's correct. So, and, and, you know, like Bettis, um, you know, these were Pentair brands that were acquired. They're like, you know, the top, top brands in, in the industry. Gotcha. Right. They're very well known. If Vanessa was the original triple offset, everybody has basically copied that. Gotcha. Um, Clarkson was the original <laughs> knife gate valve. Um, KTM has been around for 100 years. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. <clears throat> So it's very well known, um, and and Keystone's the same thing. They, I mean, we have uh, Keystone valves, seventy-two inch, eighty-six inch installed at the nuclear plants from from the seventies, wow. and they used to be made in, uh, I think, Woodstock back in the day. Oh, so cool. it's. Uh, yeah, a lot. The legacy and the history of the brands that we have is is, is pretty amazing, and I
0: guess makes it makes and it, it interesting, more fun to sell. Right. And for those listening who aren't in Ontario, it's it's Woodstock, Ontario. Woodstock it's, a, there. it's a different Woodstock. <laughs> it's not the unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, it's a great place, but yeah. it's not
1: like the the Woodstock. Not, not right? the Woodstock. Not sixty nine Woodstock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: So um, I think it's pretty obvious if I see a Knife Gate valve, maybe even a, sometimes uh, when I look at. Of the others. But like, how do I tell the difference just by looking at it? Like, can I or, or do you have you, to be kind of trained? You,
1: you have to have a bit of knowledge. I mean, a, a butterfly valve is easy. It's thin, right? It's just, okay. it's, you can, uh, same thing with a, a knife gate, but knife gate, you'll be able to tell because it's rising uh, versus just a yes. quarter turn, right? So those two are, are pretty easy. Ball valve um, also, it, it's wide. It's got a, like a, you know, fat kind of body. Yeah. Um, okay. Gate valve is usually somewhere in between, not as wide, right? Um, and usually it's got a kind of a V shape in the middle, which is where the wedge or the gate falls. Oh, and then a globe valve, mm-hmm. if you're familiar with the Fisher, it's, it's kind of like a swoosh body. Yeah. You know, it's not like a straight through. Yes. Um, it's got a seat that, that plugs. Yes. It it's got it's a plug okay. seat. So it's. You know, obviously you need a little bit of background and training, but uh, once you've seen a couple of them, it's pretty easy to spot one versus the other, yeah.
0: And so I feel like it's fair to say most, besides knife gates, most isolation valves, you turn. I believe there's some control valves that also turn as well, right? But is that one way, like most times if it's turning, you know, kind of, that's a way that you can identify if that's isolating something or not necessarily?
1: Usually, but an f valve turns too, so it's, if you do it by hand, it's just a wheel. Oh. Again, imagine like your, uh, um, your water hose. It's a little wheel that yeah. you're turning. You're just turning many times. Um, you know, a, a quarter turn might have a gearbox on it, uh, and a hand wheel might be on the side, but you can see if there's a stem coming up through it or not you can tell, uh, you know, what it looks like. But, uh, you know, a small valve might be a lever, like a butterfly valve or a ball valve, just because, uh, whereas even a ball valve, even though it's a quarter turn, you need so much torque once you get to a certain size, you need a a gearbox as a mechanical advantage. So you're still turning Mm. a wheel to turn a gear, that only turns at a quarter of a turn, right? Okay. Um, and that's why you get into automated valves. The bigger the valve, the more the reason to go automated because you don't want somebody there uh, taking an hour and a half to uh, literally to open and close a valve, and it's uh, wow. not uncommon. Yeah. Well, I mean, back in the day, we, one thing that's interesting we get to do is we go to plants that are 30, 40 years old, and now they say, well, we want to automate this 40-year-old gate valve, which is, which is a challenge, um, but that's something we're good at. Anybody can sell an actuator, mm-hmm. but to, to go in and modify a valve to now put a put an actuator on a four year old valve, because like I said, it used to take somebody two hours to operate that. Now maybe they want to do that once a week. You retrofit uh, actuation on that. that. That's a big part of our uh, business, especially on the electric side.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's actually a really good segue. So it seems like we understand the isolation valves, and uh, you kind of hit on the problem is that, you know, I mean, we're in the business of closing the loop, hence the podcasting, right? We were looking at automating things. So maybe talk to me a little about actuators, what their jobs are, maybe some of the different types.
1: Yeah. So similarly, you know, more, more often than not, we're not um, expected to decide between, let's say, an electric, pneumatic, and hydraulic. Um, that's, that's predetermined. Um, but, there, but there are a lot of reasons to pick one versus the other. Um, depends on the application, depends on the valve type, also the location and, and, and what you're trying to do. So, for example, um, we talked about gate valves. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they're very difficult to automate pneumatically, but electrically it, it's quite easy. I mean, electric actuators are basically designed to operate gate valves, to so use gears to turn many times, gotcha. uh, electric power. But um, they don't operate very fast, electric actuators in general. So if you want something like an emergency shutdown or a fast-acting um, pneumatic or hydraulic is, is, is a better solution. Um, one thing in the automation world for us is fail-safe requirements. So if you lose your main power source or your, uh, you know, be it air or hydraulic, if it needs to go to a safe position, you can't typically do that with an electric. There are some designs, but for the most part, using a spring, or mm. a, sort of like a control valve, a pneumatic or a hydraulic, that's kind of the go-to. Um, but then it's, is there air and hydraulic power available? Uh. That, that's, that's the thing when you're designing the plant or the valves, you got to take into account not just the cost of that assembly. What about the utilities? How many compressors do I need? Where is that compressor? One thing we're seeing is uh, because electrics have come a long way, um, you know, we can use them now for control and fail-safe to a certain extent. Customers are moving to electrics for outdoor applications, and outdoor in Canada means yeah. cold. Uh, air is not the best when you're at minus 30 or so degrees, so we're kind of seeing a migration to more electrics because of that. Uh, you know, getting air compressors outdoor or semi-remote locations mm. is difficult. Um, emissions is one if you're using gas or you don't want to waste Air, um, electrics is is also the way to go, and also you know with with designs these days, you can use them on control valves, you can use them for fail safe to a certain extent. Um, so electrics is just gaining momentum and I guess uh, market share, if you will, versus gotcha. versus the electrics and hydraulic counterparts.
0: Yeah. So, so you kind of touched upon it a little bit, um, normally open, normally closed. That's important to understand, right? Because as I understand it's important to make sure, you know, are we in a constantly energized state or yeah. non-energized state, especially when it comes to, to fail safety, right? So, like, I guess if you're normally open, you want to fail close, you would want it to not be energized? Or how, how, how would that work?
1: Um, oh, it, part- uh, that depends on the controls and, and the solenoid. It, it's more the mechanical arrangement. So let's say you have a valve mm-hmm. that's isolating a tank and it's open, mm-hmm. but if you lose power you want to make sure that doesn't drain or you want that valve to close. Yeah. So the um, mechanically, the spring would close the valve. Gotcha. Uh, but electrically, you'll have a solenoid that's always energized. And if that loses power, it'll also trigger uh, an event, right? So it's kind of a combination of mm. uh, mechanics and electrical control once you get... And that's the other difference with, with pneumatics and electrics. An electric actuator kind of encompasses all the controls built into one unit. Um, Pneumatics is more of a, of a plug or glue-on. I start with an actuator. Now I add a limit switch or maybe a positioner, uh, and then I have to add a solenoid, a filter regulator, uh, a relief valve maybe. It's a little more complex in the sense that it's all, not always, but more custom-assembled, whereas an electric is just, well, check off the box of options and everything comes in a box, and mm. then you just just attach it right so for that it's it makes it easier to uh, uh to specify to uh, to control the cost to uh, a lot less labor involved
0: right? gotcha yeah. so so for an actuator i guess there's different types depending on i don't know let's call it the fluid although electricity is not really fluid but there's the, uh, the fluid you have to actually actuate you also mentioned something called a positioner which mm. to my understanding exactly as it sounds it's it's lets you know the position of the valve is, is that something you see with isolation valves? Because I always thought about that uh, with control valves mainly.
1: Yeah, so a posi- positioner um, lets you position the valve at a certain point in mm. the stroke, um, and it can also feed back position continuously. Most isolation valves are on-off valves. They're open, they're closed. You send the signal to open it, you send it to close it, and then you want to know when it's open or closed. Um, in that case, you don't need a positioner. But like we mentioned before, sometimes you want an isolation valve to control, even if it's crudely. could be I want it to go to 25%, 50, 75, ramp up. Then you might use a positioner and like an analog signal to say, you know, to go to this position, 10 milliamps or what have you. Um, and, and then it'll feed back and say, hey, I am actually at this position. So it's, it's, um, it's a small percentage of of isolation valves. But like I said, in some cases, either A, you use an isolation valve as a control mechanism mm-hmm. just because it's considerably less expensive than a mm-hmm. true control valve or it, it has to do both. And some can, like a butterfly or triple offices is a good example. Um, that's why, you know, the Fisher does have butterfly valves for control because yeah. it's kind of the first step where where the butterfly is the first step of control in, in the Fisher control valve world um that's kind of the best in the isolation valve world you know so kind of crosses over um but yeah it's it's kind of an so you don't need sometimes you don't need an isolation valve plus a control valve that valve will do the same thing, just not as well as a, yeah, as a
0: Fisher. Yeah, right? that makes sense. Yeah. Do you need an actuator to use a positioner? Yes, okay. Absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah. so you can't just put it on a manual no. and, and yeah. what is posi- okay. Yeah. So, okay.
1: yeah, if it's uh, if it has a positioner, it absolutely has to have. And generally, it's a pneumatic for, for the most part.
0: Yeah. And and so, let's say we already have an isolation valve. We're looking to automate that, and you know, mm-hmm. um, electric, pneumatic, hydraulic. It doesn't really matter for the customer. Um, do you have a heuristic that you follow. Um, and I know another piece to consider is mounting. I believe that that's yeah. probably difficult as well. Like yeah. How do you mount all these different sizes? Yeah. Talk a little bit about that, what you kind of work through.
1: Yeah, well, for sure, if you're automating an existing valve, that becomes more complex. Mm. And But, um, you know, you need some expertise. Uh, we're, we tend, Lakeside, we tend to be good at that because we have people who know how to, how to do the mounting. Uh, a quarter turn valve, is usually easier because it it has a, um, a custom bracket and interface. So you can take any existing valve, oh. design the bracket and coupling to mount it because it's not a direct connection. So it lends itself better. Uh, a gate valve or multi-turn is a little bit different because the stem has to connect directly into the actuator. So you can't just put a bracket and something in between. Uh, that means you might have to weld on a flange on an existing valve. Oh wow. Um, so it's, it's a little more complicated. It's doable. Uh, that's why I said, you know, multi-turn gates, globes are not the best for automating just cause there's some nuances. Whereas, uh, you know, a ball or butterfly valve, even if it's in the field, just, you know, if you know the measurements or the dimensions, we can build a bracket and a coupling and then mount an, a pneumatic actuator. It's a, it's a little, a little easier to do, but, um, like I said, we've, we've done like 40-year-old valves where we've had to do wow. custom adaptation um, for an electric actuator, an old gate valve. So and every, anything's doable, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. but just some are, some are easier and, than, than and others.
0: And I, I feel like, too, sometimes depending on the valve, it might even just be more cost effective. to Just replace yes. the valve and get the actual, then just trying to mount it onto the existing isolation valve.
1: 100%, <sighs> and this is where you, you would suggest a different, Technology. So, mm. if I have a, a gate valve, like a 10-inch gate valve, and I want to automate it, uh, we'll tell the customer, "Hey, if we put in um, a triple offset or a butterfly with an actuator, that's going to be less expensive than just trying to put an actuator on uh. the." Existing. And now it's going to be a zero leakage valve, or it's yeah. going to be less weight and brand new, and it's brand new, and it's brand new. <laughs> it's brand new. Yeah. So that's. In those situations, that's where you kind of uh, wow. You can upsell and change technologies for I, sure. Yeah,
0: and they could also just reuse that that yeah. gate valve somewhere else, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't necessarily just go bad like that. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. And they're used cool. for tons of applications, so you can reuse that valve. Okay. Yeah. Now, in terms of the actual actuator technologies, you know, right now, I, I guess the the split I'm seeing is is between pneumatic, hydraulic, and electric. What would you say is the most common? And would you say that that's changing? Is there a shift towards electric, let's say?
1: There is a shift. For sure, pneumatic is by far uh, more more common um, because there's a lot of small valves, small balls, small butterfly valves in process control. Those are easy to automate. Uh, pneumatic is, is the most common. Mm-hmm. Hydraulic tends to be large valves, um, Mining, maybe uh, offshore, uh, just because HPU's or hydraulic power units are uh, messier, they're they're costly, they're they're harder to maintain. Um, but hydraulic, as you know, you can get you can get a lot of force out of hydraulic. So usually that's reserved for large valves, uh, pipeline valves, for example. Um, electrics are more common in, in in multi-turn, so gates, globes, okay, yep. Just because they're easier and less costly. Um, so a power plant or a wastewater treatment plant is going to be 80% electric. Gotcha. Flip side for maybe a refinery or, um, you know, food and bev or something like that. But there is a trend to move to electrics more, uh, more and more these days, mainly because um, change in technology. So previously, an electric was an on-off device now we have designs or technology where we can actually do fine control Mm. Uh, we can do uh, fail safe mechanical fail safe which wasn't available before
0: mechanical fail safe with an electric actuator
1: so a spring with an electric interesting yeah um so that's a very very popular product and that that spans across a lot of a lot of industries we have that that technology in our uh, in our portfolio and then you get into you know electrification due to outdoor semi-remote yeah. uh reduction if you're using gas to power your actuators which was common you know in the past um you know uh, once you get into that then then electrics also make sense or if you want to get rid of compressors because it's it's costly to maintain or the location is difficult yeah um again, because of the combination of control and fail safe and everything else. Now, now that you have, you have EPCs and customers who, you know, in a greenfield project, they're, they're starting with trying to go all electric versus or oh, at least really? looking at that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Which is, which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, in the past it was either 90% pneumatic or a combination, but now in some, uh, you know, some industries uh, they, are they're, they're looking at potentially going, going all electric if possible.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Mm, yeah. and, and now, correct me if I'm wrong, electric has existed for a while. Yes. It's just these recent advancements yes. that have really kind of pulled it forward. Okay. Yeah,
1: advancements, yeah, in, in technology, but also a change in uh, could be environmental sustainability. That's also added uh, to that reliability. Um, you know, in the past, a remote actuator would, would have a battery backup. So uh, you'd have somebody checking on batteries every. Every mm-hmm. few days, and uh, whereas now again, I mentioned spring return. That's that's kind of changed the game for uh, for electric actuators
0: too. Oh wow, yeah. okay, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And then uh, with the pneumatic side, you mentioned something about leaking. Can you talk a little bit about how that works? Why is that a concern with pneumatics and not electric or hydraulic?
1: Um, so I mean, with with pneumatics, um, you have potential for loss of of air. Um, so long-term utilities, you know, if you measure, if you look at the cost of a device and an automated valve, an electric might be two, two times the cost, you know, mm-hmm. it depends. And you'll say, well, that, that doesn't make sense. Why would I go electric? But if you look at, you know, the total cost of ownership, um, how much does air cost, uh, a customer, if you're losing so much air per hour, add that up by month. By year, yeah. all of a sudden it starts to make sense. Or repairing or maintenance of compressors. Or if you're trying to uh, push air up 10, 20 stories, you know, or, or hot water or whatever it is, um, you don't have those losses. Electric is electric. If you have, yeah. you have 120 volts on an actuator, that's not going to change unless you have power outages gotcha. in a remote location. Um, same thing with hydraulics; they're they're prone to leak. Obviously, depending how far your your power source is mm. to the actuator, how many you have connected, um, so it's it's one of those things that you know you gotta you gotta kind of look at the you know life cycle or long term cost of ownership. And yes. if you do look at that, especially from the beginning, a lot of times electrics makes makes sense, even even if the upfront cost might be higher, a little bit higher. Yeah.
0: Now, okay, so that would be if we're using compressed air for mm-hmm. pneumatic actuator, but um, as I understand, there's also methods to use the process pressure itself and like or the process gas, like for natural gas. Yes. Is that correct? How does that differ? Why would you use that versus just using a compressed air, let's say?
1: Um, well, that's ideal because you don't need any compressors. You're basically, like you said, you're using the pressure from the process gas to power the actuator, Um and then you're just using maybe the solo, solenoid or controls to open and close it to, the, to redirect it. So that that's ideal because you can operate a 36-inch valve, and all you need is a, a low-power solenoid mm. valve. Mm. Um, electric would work also. However, you probably have to bring in 600 volts. You have mm. to have that power mm. source. And a lot of these valves are, are remote. They're semi-remote. Yes. Um, so those, those are ideal. Um, however... Um, the downside is every time that valve strokes, yep. you're emitting the amount of gas that you've compressed in that actuator to move the valve. And that's, that's, oh, gonna, it's uh,
0: leaking to atmosphere. It's
1: leaking to atmosphere. So okay. that, that, that's an interesting point. Now we're getting into some pretty specialized applications, but we do have a special design or Emerson does. I'll say we about Emerson cause we're it at Emerson way. a long time. Um, and we actually just sold our first one to Enbridge. I think it's the first one in Canada. It's called uh, an ecat, an environmentally controlled actuator oh, technology, wow. and uh, and what it does is it uh, it's sort of like a hybrid between the the gas powered actuator, mm-hmm. the gas over oil, and, and an electro hydraulic. It incorporates um, a motor and a pump. So what it does is at the end of the stroke, it the motor turns on, it compresses that gas, oh. such that the pressure is higher than the pipeline, so it pushes it back into the pipeline.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so this is, pre- this is pretty cool. Now it's it's not cheap. No. Um, so that, but as you know, they're looking at emissions control, yes. especially in Canada. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of opportunity here, and not only for new uh, new applications, but if you can imagine, there's thousands of these in the field.
0: Yeah. Right. A lot of leaks. So uh,
1: yeah, a lot of leaks.
0: Lot even of- even
1: though they don't stroke very often, it's still they're trying to, they're trying to reduce get, you know bad apples. Which ones have the highest? Yes. So I think we have we have an opportunity. You know, uh, mid to long term to start. Uh, you, the nice thing about this design, you can retrofit on an existing one. So if you have an, wow. l- an old Bettis actuator or shaver, you can go there and, and and retrofit it to this new technology That's really cool. this into a zero So yeah, it's it's, it's actually pretty, huh. pretty pretty cool design and technology that we've been we've been working on and uh, should but, have some good
0: opportunities. So, but that is uh, probably for a pipeline or remote. Yes. So Yes. But in most cases, um, I think you know we have be talking a lot about sustainability, mm. and I think that the electric actuator kind of fits quite well into that. Like you said, yes. you don't need a compressor, so um, you know, do can we quantify those impacts? Is there a way that we can look at that and, and see if you have, you know, 100 isolation yeah. valves? And
1: you can, yeah. I mean, uh, if 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 we have the, the the data, obviously, how many valves are you powering? How many compressors? Uh, it's not just. You still need electric power to power those compressors, so there's a lot of energy required. Mm. How much? How much is lost over time? Um, so there is a lot of energy savings. Uh, you know, an electric actuator only operates every once in a while, uh, doesn't doesn't consume a lot of power uh, generally. Um, and then the other thing for for environmental control, uh, some applications might use. Let's say if you're using control valve and you're using gas to power that uh, now that's always using or bleeding gas. So mm. that's, that's, that's like a, and so those are the first ones that generally get converted to, yeah, to electric. Sense. Right. So you can, you can quantify it. Sometimes it's, it's, it's not, it's not that easy, but with, with the right information, right. If we knew the types of actuators, how many they are, how many compressors uh, and what have you, you know, you can, you can make a case for a reduction in, in, in
0: energy. Yeah. Um, and then over time and cost. Cost yeah. as well. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, when you are maybe sizing or selecting an actuator, any, any actuator, um, is that, is that something that, uh, differs in terms of the information that you need compared to say just the isolation valve? Like what, what, what goes into picking that and then sizing it? Like how, how big do you make the actuator? Mm. What goes into that?
1: Um, experience, uh, rules of thumb, Mm. uh, standards, I guess. Uh, well actually there's not a lot of standards, but, um, It it depends on on the application, uh, definitely. Um, A gate, again, a gate valve, a butterfly valve, generally is not working on a very difficult service. So you don't need a lot of safety factor because you can assume that the the torque or force required today is not going to change substantially down the road. Gotcha. Um, Same thing with a triple offset, and the reason is I talked about that door, swinging door. Triple offset only makes contact right at the end. Um, so torque doesn't really change through the life of the valve, and you're not going to use it on a slurry service. If you're talking a ball valve, uh, that's different. Mm. Um, you can have, example, uh, mining service where over time, the the valve starts to cake up. You get buildup in the valve, or a refinery service where the torque today, uh, you know, might be considerably different than the torque in six <coughs> months. So, where you might. You know, if we throw out a number, maybe a 20 to 30% safety factor is minimum or standard for most valves. Uh, a ball valve could be 50%, could be two times. I've oh, seen wow. three times for, for some mining and refining services. So, uh, uh, so you really have to know, yeah, what, what the application is, what the criticality is. A, a, an emergency shutdown valve, uh, you typically want to use 50%. Why? Even if it's not a difficult service, that valve is open 99% of the time. So if you ever tried to turn turn a valve at your house that hasn't been open in three years, yeah. you know what happens, right? Yes. Um, so you need more. And also, uh, because it's critical, it's got you know, to it's, it's be able. So even though the cost of that actuator is going to go up because of that safety factor, you got to weigh the consequences and the criticality um of that right so yeah it, it depends on valve type depends on application and depends on on safety requirements so
0: so it's uh, it, there is a, a science and a math yeah. behind quantifying it but then it's just about how safe do you need to yes. be which is kind of i guess almost the art of it right and trying to understand those nuances yeah and i
1: mean if you're if you're if you're working on a project more often than not the engineer will specify their own safety factor because gotcha. If you're just working with an end user who says, hey, I want an automated valve, it's kind of up to you, uh, you know, with with your bit of knowledge to determine what's what's the right safety factor to use. And, and, you know, you got to be careful because there's also maximum allowable torques on valves. If you go too high and something goes wrong, you could damage that valve. So it's a balance between uh, enough torque to turn that stem, but not too much that potentially you can and tear it up or, or damage it right okay um but uh but sense. yeah so that's why we uh we, <laughs> we have a lot of training going on at lakeside with a lot of new applications engineers and that's just one of the many yeah. many yeah. subjects right we get into
0: well and that that last piece that you mentioned though was something i'm interested in was learning more about um kind of how these technologies break down over time and what the repair looks like you know we get into a lot of troubleshooting with mm-hmm. instrumentation um maybe you could just briefly talk about what that looks like for isolation valves yeah. versus the actuator
1: yeah well that, 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 that's a good point we talked about the advantages of electrics and all the good things they can do these days and how they come along uh, the downside is an electric actuator is a lot more complex than a pneumatic actuator mm. it's a piston usually and some seals there's really not much that can go wrong and they're I mean, the, the good brand like Bet is they're, they're bulletproof. I mean, it's not uncommon to never change out a seal. An electric is different. You got uh, contactors, you got starters, you got limit switches, you got printed circuit boards. Mm-hmm. Um, they need a little more maintenance and they're expected to be repaired or overhauled or swapped out uh, every so often. So, definitely, there's more maintenance involved on an electric versus versus a pneumatic. Uh, as far as valve goes, it depends. I mentioned, like, butterfly valves are cheap. The reality is they're throwaway valves. Mm. You're not going to replace a $300 valve or try and repair it because, you know, you know yeah. an hour of labor will make that up. Gotcha. Um, ball valve, which might be, a, you know, $50,000, you might repair. You might change the seats. Knife gates, for example, um, even though they seal against this crazy amount of slurry and solids, the reality is the uh, the sleeves, which which are kind of the pressure-retaining components, they wear – so those are, are periodically repaired, and they're designed to be easily repaired, taken apart. Uh, you keep the main body or core, the metal parts, and you change the soft parts of the sleeves. Um, so, yeah, some versus the other. But, you know, if you would use a conventional valve, you'd probably have to throw it away. Gotcha. Uh, even though it might be, that, that's, the other, that's the other balance. Do you want a, a low-cost <laughs> valve that you can't repair, uh, that you have to change every couple of years or do you want this valve that's two times the cost but maybe you only need to repair it or change it out every every 10 years right so that's uh, that's kind of the discussions and the challenge and the same thing with uh, you know you know our, our brands are, are high tier they're not generally the lowest cost yeah um but the message is often like like bettis that's that's uh i think the elematic uh motto is fit and forget and and that is not uh, not untrue you you put in that actuator mm-hmm. it is not uncommon that it will run for 10 15 years and you,
0: you don't have to change out a, a part or a seal right yeah it's just funny coming from the instrumentation world right where it's a, a lot of set and forget until it dies yeah. right there aren't necessarily yeah. a lot of repairs right if mm. you know your coriolis works until it doesn't right yeah. and, and maybe you can clean it out uh but you know oftentimes after 10 15 20 years it's it's eroded or corroded it and that's it right so yeah. uh totally different world than and, and
1: it is. I mean, don't forget you have some valves that not only are they large and expensive, but they're welded in. Oh. So it's, um, you might change the actuator, but if you bury a, a 24 inch valve at Enbridge, or if you weld in a, uh, you know, 20 inch, 900 pound valve at a power plant, mm-hmm. uh, they might repair them, but replacing it is incredibly costly. Mm. So, um, you know, there's different programs in place depending on the valve. So, uh, you know, they, they got to take that into account from the beginning when they're when they're specifying
0: that yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. Wow. A lot of trade-offs. Yeah. A lot, a lot of a trade-offs. Lot of, a lot
1: of pros and cons, a lot of trade-offs. There's just so many variations, so many valve types that, yeah. you know, three or four different valve types can potentially serve the same purpose. But yeah. But you know, long term, uh, it's a completely different story.
0: Wow. Well, I'm glad I talked to an expert <laughs> like you. I definitely <laughs> learned a lot about isolation actuation. Right. Hopefully, our, our listeners did as well. Hope so. Um, if someone wanted to learn more information, you yeah. know, about either, where would be the best place to go? Um, well,
1: there's there's a lot of places. Uh, in internally, you know, we got our, we got our website. If uh, if you're a Laker and and you want to learn or train, we uh, we finished putting together a pretty comprehensive training program from basics one oh one to more advanced that we'll right. be getting into next year. Um that's that's available. It's it's mostly virtual. Cool. So you can learn basics of isolation valves, of actuators, all the different types. Obviously it's focused around uh, the Emerson brands, but that's that's available. Um contact myself either, you know uh, email teams, or you want to hook up on, on LinkedIn, you can, you can definitely find me there too, but yeah, don't, uh, don't hesitate. I, uh, I, I really enjoy th- this sort of stuff, you know, teaching people. I do have a lot of experience. I I mean, I, I don't know if I'm i I'm an expert. Maybe that's that's, that's a, that's a relative. Term. <laughs> More, Maybe. Than me. More than exactly. me. Exactly. Yep. It's all relative, but, uh, you know, I, I do enjoy uh, passing along that, that knowledge. So yeah, don't, don't hesitate to. That's fantastic.
0: Well, thank you very much, you. Uh With that, we're going to close mm-hmm. out the podcast today. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, and until next time.
1: We'll be